So some of you, I heard some comments from some people that uh, it's not quite Advent. And I do want to say that, yes, we are starting our Advent series a week early. So for those of you who are church liturgical calendar nerds and, and followers, yes, we are a week early. You are 100% correct in that. Um, but that's okay, um, because we're using uh, the way the Sundays fall to our advantage. So all these hundreds of years of church history and the church calendar, we're just like, nah, there's five Sundays. The fifth one will be uh, Christmas Eve where we can light the, the Christ candle in the middle. So we're going to make it five Sundays and we'll start a week early. So, you know, tradition or, or you know, useful things for us. So um, anyway, but for those of you who are not familiar with the Advent season and G25s, you may want to look at your worksheet for this first one. Uh, are not familiar with what Advent means, Advent means coming or arrival. It means coming or arrival. And it's a way of celebrating the Christmas season and looking back at the, the coming or arrival of Christ at his birth, but yet at the same time looking forward to what we know is the promised second coming and arrival of Christ again to this earth. And so we're living our lives in this in-between time. And each week we'll light one of these candles— and each candle and each week has a different theme that goes with it. Um, today, as Blake mentioned during the reading, the first uh, candle and the first theme, and we'll have the sermons based on these themes, is hope. Next week will be peace, then joy, then love. And as I mentioned, the large white candle in the middle is the Christ candle, which will light on our Sunday um, morning service on Christmas Eve. But for today's scripture, we're going to be at the beginning of the book of Luke, and then we're going to be in the last chapter of the book of Luke. So we're, we're going to start reading in Luke 1, 26 through 38, and then we're going to hop to Luke 24. So if you'll read along with me in Luke 1, 26 through 38. Here now the reading of, the God, of God's word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now what a magnificent promise. An angel appeared to Mary and told her that the Messiah, the Savior, the promised one, the Son of God was going to be born to her. The one who would sit on the Davidic throne to rule and reign over his people. Fulfilling the covenant that God made with David in 2 Samuel 7 whose kingdom and throne would be established forever. The long-awaited promise was finally coming true, 
And this is a moment of pure excitement as all of these things are happening. After centuries and centuries of poor kings and periods of exile and and domination by other kings, and now domination by the Roman Empire, God's promises were finally coming true. Now let's go to the last chapter of of, of the book of Luke, Luke 24, right after the resurrection of Christ. And I want us to meet an interesting man named Cleopas. And we'll read in Luke 24, 13 through 35. Luke 24, 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he, st- and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of these who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And he said to them, O foolish ones! and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scripture? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, I love the story about Cleopas. It's the only time he's mentioned in the Bible, but I find myself relating to him quite a bit. Look back at what he says in verse 21. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. Can you all relate to that feeling? Let's make it seasonal. Have you ever been disappointed by a Christmas gift? You just knew that you were going to get that thing that you had been dropping hints about for weeks and weeks. You even kind of scoped it out as it was under the tree. The box was the right size. It sounded about right when you shook the box, like it, like it should have. It felt about the right weight. And as you were opening presents on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve, whenever you do it, you saved it for last as you were opening presents, as you knew this was the one that you had been hoping for. All was right, and you had a huge smile on your face as you ripped open the paper, and in your mind you thought, this wasn't the gift that I wanted. And you did your best to hide your disappointment as your family gave you what they thought you wanted or something that you had previously wanted but had moved on from wanting. 
We just read of the promise to Mary before Christ's birth. From the Abrahamic covenant and the promise of land, offspring, and and to be a blessing to the nations, to the Mosaic covenant where God brought his people out of Israel and sealed the old covenant to be their God where God gave them the law. And then finally, the Davidic covenant that we spoke about earlier. Prophets throughout history had foretold the coming of the Messiah as God's covenants became more and more clear and focus. The nation of Israel had hoped to rise under this Messiah and King and throw off the bonds of the Roman Empire and once again rule and reign in Jerusalem. Great crowds gathered as they listened to every single word that he said. They just knew that this was the one, the promised one. But then he started saying things like, my kingdom is not of this world. He preached peace and submission to the ruling powers. He didn't answer as he was accused and brought before his many trials. He was even accused of blasphemy as he claimed to be the son of God. Now, how could this be? Was it a cruel joke that was being played? Was this someone who was a phony? He was praised at his triumphal entry, and less than one week later, he was on the cross being mocked as a king. This couldn't be the Messiah. This wasn't how it was supposed to happen. We had hoped he would be the one. In essence, this wasn't the gift that we had wanted. Cleopas said as he talked to this stranger who approached him, are are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened? He asked with, and you can see a bit of indignation if you read that, it's there. The stranger asked, what things? And Cleopas said to him, the things about Jesus a man who was a prophet, who, who was mighty in word and deed before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers should deliver it up to be condemned to death. And then they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Now Cleopas and his friend, that we don't have the name of, had been kept from recognizing that this was Jesus as he walked with them and talked with them. And he started at Moses and all the prophets and explained to him all the things concerning himself and interpreted the scriptures for him that it was necessary for Christ, the Messiah, to suffer before he entered into his glory. But then as Christ broke the bread at the table, just as he had done at the Last Supper, the eyes of Cleopas and his friends were open, and they recognized Jesus as he vanished from their sight. And excitedly they ran and told the other disciples that, yes, it's true, the Lord has indeed risen. You see, the Messiah's birth, sinless life, death, and resurrection— accomplished so much more than the temporal earthly kingdom for which Cleopas and so many others had longed. This Jesus that we often celebrate as as a baby during this Christmas time was indeed the Savior of the world, the one whose humility would accomplish something so great that we still can't comprehend all of what awaits us in the future. We look with hope to the entire fulfillment of promise and our ultimate glorification in eternity. How could it be good for Emmanuel, God with us, to go away so that God could truly be with us in a new way and giving us the Spirit as a seal for what awaits us forever? A new heaven and a new earth is promised and will become a reality that we experience one day where our God will reign forever and ever. This is the gift that wanted us. Jesus Christ wanted us. However, I think I'm often like Cleopas. We had hoped. The things that we had hoped for leave us disappointed or disillusioned. John Cheever, who is a Pulitzer Prize winning author, once observed that the main emotion of the adult American 
who has had all the advantages of, of wealth, education, and culture, is disappointment. Walker Percy then wrote a book uh, based on Cheever's statement entitled Lost in the Cosmos, the Last Self-Help Book. He wrote it as a satire on the self-help movement. In it, and this is highly condensed, um, but because each one has an explanatory paragraph afterward, but basically summing it up, work is disappointing, marriage and family life are disappointing, school is disappointing, politics is disappointing, churches are disappointing, and social life is disappointing. As I'm reading this, I thought, wow, this is pretty accurate. This describes what most people are finding in our society today. But this book was written in 1983. A mock self-help book written 40 years ago unfortunately holds up pretty well to, I think, what most of us find in society today. We had hoped. Now, if we're going to talk about hope, we need to make sure that we're on the same page of what is biblical hope. And biblical hope isn't just wishful thinking, that I hope that we have good weather or that it snows on Christmas. I hope that I get the present I want. I hope the receivers on whatever team can catch the football. Biblical hope isn't about just being positive. It isn't being optimistic that that better things are certainly going to come my way or can come in society if we just do things a little bit better. And there isn't necessarily anything wrong with this type of hope and wishful thinking. Being positive and having optimism about life can be a good thing, but they're not biblical hope. And these two are in your bulletin with some uh, uh, blanks to fill in. And one definition of biblical hope that I liked was hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised, and the strength of the confidence is in God's faithfulness. Hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised, and the strength of the confidence is in God's faithfulness. Or a little bit shorter version of that. Hope is the expectation of coming good based on the person and promises of God. Hope is the expectation of coming good based on the person and promises of God. So based on a biblical understanding of hope that's rooted in the covenant, that's rooted in the person and the promises of God, what do we hope for? Now, we could list many things that we hope for, and I just chose three this morning because every sermon has three things. So I chose three. But what do we hope for? Number one, our hope is in, the, is in the return of Christ to make all things new. And this is part of Advent, that Christ is coming again. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul has an extended section on the resurrection of Christ and what implications that has for us. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. Yes, we have hope in this life through the saving work of Christ and the redemption that we have in Christ but we have something far greater awaiting us, the full completion of our salvation and our glorification. Biblical hope looks forward to the second coming of Christ, just as Old Testament saints look forward to the first coming of the Messiah. Romans 8, 22 through 25. But we know now that the whole, <coughs> excuse me, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. 
For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And all of us know this. The reality is that we live in a broken world. Paul even writes that the creation itself, the worth itself, is groaning, awaiting the coming of Christ and him making all things new through a new heaven and a new earth. We as Christians long for the fulfillment of Christ's promises and our glorified body where we will dwell with him forever as our king in the new heaven and the new earth. We have a foretaste of the glory that awaits us, though, because of the spirit that's been given to us. Though inwardly redeemed and made a new creation, outwardly our body is still subject to the fall. One author wrote, because of our divinely bestowed sensitivity to sin, we ourselves groan within over the dreadful curse of sin that is still manifested by our remaining humanness. On one hand, the completion of our salvation is a hope, but not yet a reality. But since our hope is based on God's promises, it is far more certain than anything that we can see with our eyes. Because salvation is entirely the work of God, we can be assured of its final completion. Though society tries as, as, as hard as it can through, through science and technology, and we have a new thing every year that's going to fix all of the problems of this life, humanity cannot save this fallen world, no matter how hard it's tried. We as Christians, we cannot save this world because we need to be saved from this world. And we look forward to the day when Christ will come again to make all things new. Second, Our hope is that while we are here, Christ is with us in our suffering. Our hope is that while we are here, Christ is with us in our suffering. We sing about it. Emmanuel, God with us. It's a very common thing you'll hear around the time of Advent and Christmas. We sing about it, we talk about it, but do we actually live it? Especially around this time of year. For many, the holidays are a very, very difficult time. It brings up memories of loss. It brings up memories of those who aren't with us here anymore. There are other stressors in in the most wonderful time of the year. 68% feel financially strained. 66% experience more loneliness. 63% feel far too much pressure. 57% have unrealistic expectations. 55% remember happier times in the past compared to what we have currently. 64% have an increase in anxiety or depression during the holidays. And although we've been redeemed by God and belong to him, we know that we will have suffering in this life because Christ promised that we would. But he also promised to be with us in our suffering. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Emmanuel, God with us. But it is more than just that. It is God within us. You see, God was not just a baby in a manger, or as Christ walked on the earth, or as he hung on a cross. God is with us now, living within us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And there's a deep unity that Christ prayed for for believers in John 17, 21. And the wording is just just amazing and far too deep to even begin to try to comprehend. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one. 
In other words, we share in the fellowship that is within the triune God. We do not become God, but we can share in that deep, intimate fellowship that's eternally existed within the triune Godhead. So whatever circumstances we face in this life, know that we do not face them alone. We have the sure and certain hope that through our union with Christ, he shares in our sufferings with us. And then third and finally, our hope is that we will experience the richness of Christ in this world. Our hope is that we will experience the richness of Christ in this world. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Yes, Christ is coming again, and we rejoice in that fact. We celebrate that fact. We look forward to that fact. Yes, we have hope in Christ through the suffering that will inevitably come to us in this life. But too many Christians have developed sort of a, of a, a bunker mentality that while I'm here, I'm just going to keep my head down and keep waiting on Christ to come again. Or even this withdrawal from the world mentality that this world's not my home. I'm just, I'm just passing through. And I don't think either of those are what God intends for us to have in this type of, in this life while we're here on earth. It certainly isn't what Paul prays for. To abound means to, to run over, be wealthy, to have more than enough, to transcend all boundaries. Paul prays and points us to the true source and supply of biblical hope, the God of hope. Pointing out that hope is something not only descriptive, but that is inherent in God's nature and his character. Hope, again, being based on the promises and the person of God. So what is Paul praying for? He's not praying for something in the future to happen, for us to have hope about something in the future, but he's praying for us to have hope in the here and in the now, that we would be filled with all joy and peace in believing in this great God of hope. Now, joy and peace are two Advent words that will come over the next two weeks, so we won't delve too far into them, but joy is an inward satisfaction that is rooted in God and what he's done. Peace is an inward settledness of the soul. I love this quote from um, noted New Testament scholar F.F. F. Bruce, who quoted an old Scottish preacher who once explained this verse as, God's peace is joy resting, and his joy is peace dancing. As we walk in the Spirit, we can abound in hope as we live in this life. And the good news is hope isn't rationed. Hope is an abundant supply through the God of hope. And as we look to the God of hope, we gain joy and peace, which produces hope, which then produces more joy and more peace, and so on and so forth in this never-ending cycle. Eugene Peterson, um, who was a, was a Bible scholar and teacher, uh, translated uh, into the message, which some of you may be familiar with, uh, had this quote about hope, which I liked. And it's in your bulletin if you want to follow along, since it's a more lengthy quote. And he says, hope is not about the future. Hope is about the present. It obviously has to do with the future, but it's a virtue which is cultivated in the present. It fills the present with energy. It connects the two comings of Jesus so that we are now participating in them. We're not just remembering the one and believing in the other, we are participating in the continuity of the comings. Meaning hope, just like the Advent, is about the now and the not yet. 
So in closing, this is our hope this morning, <clears throat> that Christ is coming again, that Christ is with us in our suffering, and that through Christ we can experience the riches of this life. And this is the invitation as we start Advent, is to set our hope back on Jesus. Though life may not give us what we wanted, though we may be disappointed by the things that have happened to us thus far in our life, or the things that are going on in our life right now, we can always be assured with abundant hope that Jesus Christ was the gift that wanted us. And we have our hope in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that Jesus Christ is our hope. I pray that we would look for him and him alone for our hope. I pray that we would look forward to the second coming of Christ, but that we would live now as people of hope in this world in which you've, you've placed us and that you've called us to live abundant and fruitful lives. We love you, and we thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.